I have to tell you this. Um, I began preaching last night, this same sermon, at uh, Lexington Christian Fellowship, and I shared with them my last two weeks that have been just amazingly busy. Um, I won't tell you the whole story, but it was so funny. I, I went into detail, and I just came off of our, our camp week, uh, but that was after a week of working on a house down in uh, Florida that we own and driving back through the night in the middle of the night, being worn out, starting camp, just finishing it, coming to preach. And I said, I am just so tired. We really need God. And so I thought it was very appropriate on my way to preach this morning at the church out in Jessamine that I get this message from Ben. I'm feeling really crummy and I need somebody to preach. So if it was bad last night, be even worse this morning. So uh, pray for yourselves and pray for the person next to you that God will give them grace. And that's a pun that you'll see in just a second. Uh, so um, have we ever met? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Y'all went to school together, didn't you? Yeah, okay, great. Good to see you again. Glad you're here. Um, Oh, good. There's no really newbies. Um, I, uh, let me share something with you all that has nothing to do with the teaching. Uh, so when we came 40 years ago, uh, we started a Bible study uh, in Hagen Hall. They've torn it down uh, in B131. And there were uh, two of us at the end of the year. There were four of us. And we really felt like God wanted us to give our lives to see the university uh, really affected for the kingdom of God. And so we got this plan that we would just not get very big and then plant churches out of, you know, what we do. And so uh, it was about, I think, maybe 25 years before we planted a church. Uh, but we planted three uh, in the 10 years, 15 years since then. And so I think what God was doing with us in those first years was teaching us to how, how to really love each other. Uh, because that was the one thing we wanted to do. And we thought, okay, let's all love each other and then we'll really build churches. Uh, but loving each other is a lot more than just having a smile on your face when you get together. It's really looking at life together uh, and being willing to adjust your lives to live with each other. Uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the most the most mysterious thing about them is the fact that they have always existed and never had one argument and that they have never complained about their position. The father has never said, why do I always have to be the dad? I wish I could be the son and you could be the father. Or the Holy Spirit has never said, well, why do you two guys get to be father? Why? They were always happy with who they were and they lived in perfect harmony with one will. Let me tell you, it is a miracle if you can get a group of 50 people to do that. And it takes a while. And so I really want to encourage you that the, the bigger work that you're doing right now is learning how to live your lives together, to, be, to, to honestly be one. You know, you can fake it. You can, you can learn how to win friends and influence people. Uh, you can take all kinds of classes on how to greet people and make them feel welcome. Uh, but to really have lives that are one, it costs you everything. You have to give up your life for a common life and then be shaped and formed. And that's real love. That's real love. And people see that. And that reflects God. So if, if, you're, if your method of reaching people is going to be four-color advertising or if it's going to be a fancy website, you will grow according to those things. But if you're willing to make the investment to become people that really love each other and lay your lives down for each other, then the growth that you will have uh, won't be here today and gone tomorrow. But you will, be, you will be integrating people into the true family of God, the true people of God. And it's hard work. It kills you to do it. Uh, like I said, it took us 25 years. And people came and went. Uh, but the people who were willing to die, they died. So... It was really interesting. Ben is so wise. I, I love that guy. Um, I was talking to him and I was asking him about, you know, if how many people were coming in. It's outreach time, so we're all, you know, trying to figure that out. And Ben said, I don't know and I don't really care because I feel like what God is doing is he's shaping us and forming us as a people. 
And uh, to have a guy that young to be wise enough to wait and to let God do his thing among us, that doesn't mean that we're not going to keep reaching out. I mean, we did outreach, you know, all those years. And we saw a lot of people get saved and discipled. Uh, but the people who really became part of that knit-together group that, that, that really did walk in that kind of sacrificial, I'm laying my life down for you, uh, finally came together. And since then, like, we're, we're kind of pressed with the Lexington Church. We're looking for a young guy that's ready to go out. And I would say in just a couple of years, we'll see that person go out. Because we've got that core of people that we've been together for 40 years, and we're going to die together. And uh, that strength of, of unity and honest relationship and love, people see that. And then uh, that translates into people who want that. So I really encourage you uh, not to get anxious, uh, but to, to really give yourselves to each other and your common vision of reaching two or three people at a time. Hope, hope Ben doesn't mind me sharing that with you all. So I think you all are doing the same thing we're doing, right? Going through John? Is that what you're doing? Okay. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some verses, and then we'll just hop into it. Um, I mean, it's such, it's such family. If anybody has anything to throw in as we go, feel free. Uh, this, is, it's, this is about the size. We had 17 people for a long time. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 16, 17, 18. Uh, so this, is, this was the size church that I was used to for probably... Uh, six or eight years. Uh, so it's, it's my favorite place to be. So uh, let's just uh, be together around the Word of God. Uh, John chapter 1. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Father, uh, uh, well, let's see. Who has not prayed? Matt, would you, uh, would you pray for the word? We've been going through the Bible three years this December. We'll finish up in Revelation. John is the only New Testament writer that wrote a gospel, an epistle, and a prophecy. Uh, and we'll be finishing up with John. And what we decided to do was just camp out in John for a while. There's, we're not really going to try to outline it and exegete it, uh, but just spend time there, get to know him and to, to hear his heart. It's the fourth gospel that's not synoptic. A lot of the information is different than other places. And uh, one thing about John, he likes to tell you why he's writing his book. If you look in 1 John, uh, the epistle, he, four times he tells you, I'm writing you for this reason. I'm writing you for this reason. He's got four different reasons. But he's got one reason, and you all, I, I bet you all have covered this in the last uh, couple of weeks. The why did he write? Can you tell just why did he write? Pardon me? So that you would believe. So that you believe, would believe... That Jesus was Messiah, and what else? That he was the Son of God. And in believing, what would happen? You'd have life in his name. name. So, I'm writing these things uh, so that you might believe that he's Messiah, that is, he is the anointed one, that he is the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. And uh, it's real interesting. Um, of course, you all know my favorite verse in the Bible is John seventeen three, And you might have life in his name, but what is life? This is life that you might know him. So he's writing that you would know God. And in this knowing of God that you would experience life as it's meant to be, right? So I, th- I think it's, it's interesting, though, this, 
Uh, these are written that you might believe. It's right after that story about Thomas. Uh, Thomas has a nickname. What's his nickname? What? Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. That's it. How would you like to be the one apostle that, uh, you, hey, hey, doubting. Uh, we'll, we'll all see him one day. But uh, I think probably uh, we'll probably uh, identify with him more than point our finger at him. And so you all know the story about Thomas, what happens. He, he's not there when Jesus first appears to the disciples. And he says, you know, unless I see him, I'm not going to believe. And then he sees him and he believes. And Jesus looks at him and he says this. You know, you are blessed because you've seen and you've believed. But, but those that see, that don't see and believe, have the greater blessing. And so we have an opportunity to have a greater blessing than Thomas because we don't see him. And it's right after that that uh, John says, you know, there's a lot of things that Jesus did. Many of them have been written, uh, but these are written. I've specifically chosen the parts that I've put in my gospel so that you might believe that he's Messiah, that he's the anointed one, and that he is the Son of God, and in that you'll have life. And that life is a knowing relationship with him. So, as I understand it, this book was written so that we would have deeper and deeper faith uh, in, in Jesus as both the Christ, the anointed one, the man anointed of God, but also the Son of God himself, both man and God. Uh, right? So that's, that's what the book's about. So um, I'm not sure where all Ben's going to go, but I'm, I'm just opening it up, hitting my finger and going there. So uh, we've read our scripture. So let's go back and let's get started uh, just walking through it a little bit. <clears throat> the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. So, you all, I'm, did Ben say anything about the word, the word, word, logos, last week? What did he say? He, he kind of defined what logos was. Well, I figured he'd do that. How did he define it? He Only because it's you, Zach, would I do that. <laughs> he, he defined it no, I'd do it to anybody. Like okay. Structured order, yeah. The way things are. It's the answer to everything. Yeah, exactly. The structured order. If you want to know how it all fits together, that's the logos, the argument uh, of, of how it all exists. Good. Uh, so in the beginning, the reality, the understanding, the argument of the structure and the order, it was there. And it was with God. And out of that... Creation was made. So creation comes out of the structure and order of, of Jesus Christ. Okay? But the structure and the order, the way everything is, became flesh. And so in Jesus, we see the way everything is and is supposed to be. And it walked around. That's awesome. And as it walked around, we saw the glory as of the only begotten of, of the Father. We saw the glory of God in a man, full of grace and truth. So John, he knows his Bible as well as Paul does. And there's an allusion here to the Old Testament. Uh, he talks about uh, he became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. That word dwelt only appears 20 times or so in the New Testament. About half of them, not quite, but almost half of them are in Hebrews chapter 8. Does anybody know what Hebrews chapter 8 is about? Hebrews? Pardon me? It's the tabernacle. Exactly the tabernacle, and that's the word. Jesus tabernacled among us. The word, the explanation came and tabernacled among us and what did we see? We saw the glory of God. When God tabernacles among us, we see the glory of God. What does that remind you of? The Old Testament. God has always wanted to tabernacle with man. And so in the Old Testament, God said, you build a house and I'll come live in it. So they built a tabernacle. And let me, let me read a verse from Exodus. They built this house that God told them to build. It's a tent. They call it a tabernacle. 
So Exodus 40, 34 through 35. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, or the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And so just as God expressed his desire to tabernacle with man in the Old Testament, give yourselves to one common house, and I will tabernacle among you, and the glory descends in the same way Christ himself, Jesus, was God in the flesh, and the glory that was on the tabernacle was on Jesus. So we beheld the glory, the glory as the glory of God. So let's talk about glory a little bit. Um, well, one other verse about the tabernacle. This is in Revelation. This is John again, uh, 21.3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Ultimately, the final uh, dwelling place is going to be God himself will come and live with us. That's where it's all headed. And again, that's John writing this. So John has this real sense of God wanting to be with his people. So the Old Testament, it was in Jesus, and ultimately that's what it's all about, that we would, as the Trinity has been together in eternity, that we would experience that eternal presence and togetherness in God. If I was at Jessamine County right now, I would say, can you say praise the Lord? I don't know, maybe you all are more intellectual or something, so I, I won't do that. So let's talk about glory um, for a second. Uh, we've, we've, we've talked about glory before, but I, I've, I've got a definition that I don't think I've shared. It's out of uh, uh, Spiros Zodiates, if you ever read his stuff. Um, let me just read it. Glory, therefore, is the true apprehension of God or things. It is the true apprehension of God or things. I was listening to the testimony of a, of a Ph.D. philosopher, and he was talking about how he became saved. And he said, somehow, as I thought into the reality underneath everything, I realized there is a God. And he said, it was a moment, a mystical moment in my life. He said, most people, a lot of people don't have that mystical moment, but I had it. When I saw the order of everything, I realized there must be a God. He was touched by that realization of how it all fits together. So glory is the apprehension of the fullness of God. The essence of who, when you see that, it's like, whoa. The glory of God must mean his unchanging essence. It's who God is, was, and always will be. Giving glory to God is ascribing to him his full recognition. When you begin to say, God, you are forever. God, you are perfect in all your ways. God, you alone, you know, as you do that, you are glorifying God. To glorify means to expound or extend. The true glory of man. Now, this, this is really good if you can get it. The true glory of man on the other hand, is the ideal condition in which God created man. The ideal condition in which God created man. In other words, I think it's in James, it says that he is the father of glory. What God creates is glorious. It is out of his order, it is out of his essence, and it is glorious. So God's glory is who he is. Our glory is who we were created to be. And so we are moving toward that glory as we walk with God. We become more of who we were created to be as we walk with Him. The condition was lost in the fall and is recovered through Christ and exists as a real fact in the divine mind. Your glory exists in the mind of God. And to the degree... That you come to the place of faith in Jesus Christ and walk your life as he walked it. You become transformed from one glory to another into the image of what you were created to be, which is absolutely glorious. 
absolutely glorious. The believer waits for this complete restoration. The glory of God is what he is essentially. The glory of created things, including man, is what they are meant by God to be, though not yet perfectly attained. I don't count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I press forward toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. So God is glorious. Mankind was created glorious. He fell, but God is wanting to move us into that same glory uh, for which we were created. Yeah? So I behold, beheld God become flesh, and I saw the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. So in Jesus, what do we see? We see the full glory of God and man fully glorified. Life, the understanding of the way life should be, the understanding of the way life exists, the answer to all of your questions is in Jesus Christ and the way he lived. And so as we walk through John, we're going to see how he lived in relationship with God. And out of that relationship, he always made choices that reflected eternity. And it was always glorious. It was a glorious life. So if you come to the place of full faith, you will live a glorious life. Does that make sense? It, you must not be getting it because if you were getting it, you'd be going, wow, whoa, that is, are you telling me that the very glory of God can rest in my life? Yes, it can. And, and it comes, well, let me, let, me, uh, let me give a couple of examples about glory just so, so, we have, so you have an idea of what God wants to do in your life. Uh, I'm going to use an example that I got reprimanded for last night. I'll, I'll use it in a second. Can I use it here? This, these people are okay, aren't they? A lady actually leaned over to my wife and got on to me to her for using the third example I'm going to use. But let me, let me give you three examples, okay? All right. So the first example of glory. Now see, we were created in the image of God and with ability. And, and the more we come into perfection in any area, in any way, you get closer and closer to the essence of what you were created to be, which is glorious. And so you all know me in sports. I'm not a basketball player, but I do know this. There is no single uh, individual player today who's the best. People argue. They didn't used to argue. They just said Michael Jordan. Uh, he was unchallenged uh, as the best player when he played uh, for Chicago. And it was just, to watch him, you were just, you fell into it almost, you know. Uh, when the word grace was used uh, in drama, in Greek drama, and it was the actors, their actions would be so, so real that it would just kind of, you would kind of fall into it. That word was called grace. So when Michael Jordan played and people saw it, I mean, it didn't matter which, which, which team you were rooting for, people would go. I mean, the, the cameras would zero into the crowd and they'd be going, and they'd be talking. He's like, whoa. And there's just something about it that's like, that's glory. That's a natural expression of glory. You know, it's, 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 it's the ability of the human body taken to a high level of excellence. And when you see that, it's like, whoa. Now, when I was growing up, there was a, a player that would probably, if he lived at the same time as Michael Jordan and had the same benefits, would have been as good or maybe even better. Uh, and his name was Pete Maravich. They called him Pistol Pete. And uh, he became a Christian. If you get to watch his, his uh, uh, there's a video of his life. He becomes a Christian later on, and he shares with a lot of people. He died young, unfortunately. Uh, but he, he, he really wasn't a basketball player. Uh, he was more of a magician. Uh, he would go on the floor, and he would do tricks, impossible tricks that definitely needed magic. Uh, and I'm not talking Johnson. Uh, he, would, he would come running down on the left side, the lane. He would switch over. And about the top of the circle, he'd do this. He'd be looking this way, he'd do that. And the ball 
mysteriously, almost like he had a magnet or a string, would go through the air at the perfect arch and go through that little round hoop. And people were like, <gasps> you know, people who didn't even like basketball would go when he was in town just to see him do those things. And it was like, it caught you. That's glory. That's, that's excellence in humanity. Okay? Uh, the next example I used was Niccolo Paganini. Uh, in senior seminar, we go through the, the composers, and I read this story about Paganini. He was a violin player, and he is the number one violin player that ever lived. Go online, Google it. He's always at the top list. And uh, uh, Paganini, when he would play, he would get so intense and, and, and so fervent and, and just violent in his playing uh, and, and he would play around the stage, you know, and it would just be him, a whole hall. And, and he would actually play so violently and so passionately that he would break his strings. And by the end of the concert, he had, would have one string left, and he could finish the piece using one string. How he did that, I don't know. But, and people, when he would do that, he, they, would go, they would go, and, and occasionally people would literally faint. It was so capturing that it was like, I can't believe this even exists in a human being. Some people literally believe that he had made a deal with the devil. I mean, it was so supernatural, so beyond what it seems like a human being could do. Now, one thing we do know is that sometimes before the concert, uh, he would take a knife and cut partway through his string. So when it came time to break, it would be easier. That wasn't the, mir the miracle was the way he played and the fact that he could finish it on one string glory does that make sense it, it catches you it's like the existence of the way and everybody always wants to be that when they see it i wish that were me right glory that's glory when we see that in god it is so much more <sighs> that's glory uh, the last example and it's in a it, it's a different uh realm um, has anybody here seen the movie Titanic? This is what I got in trouble for. As I understand it, I don't remember movies well, and I was told by several people that there are certain things in Titanic that are, are somewhat risque. And so, uh, yeah. Anyway, so there's a couple of things. The thing about that movie is it's the perfect love story. Um, uh, the guy from a lower class... Uh, I think he might have been a stowaway even. I don't know. But, I mean, whatever. He was in the bottom of the ship. Meets a, a more upper-class woman. Uh, they fall in love. Uh, they have this romance. Um, at one point, you see him uh, on the front of the ship, out like this. And he says, I am the king of the world. Um, and uh, so, later on, you see him with her. He's holding her. She has her hands outstretched. Uh, you know, it's the same scene duplicated. Uh, and then at the end, of course, what happens is the Titanic sinks. I, I, I hate to spoil it for you, but the boat sinks. And uh, one of the last scenes, she's floating on this door. And he's there hanging off the edge, holding her hands, expressing his final love to her. He lets go, and he sinks to the bottom. And so, I mean... What a perfect story, you know. People from two different cultures, classes, fall in love. Uh, you know that they're going to have the most wonderful life together. He's the king of the world. The king of the world. And he loves her dearly. And in the end, only one of them can live. And he lets go and sinks to the bottom. And it just captures you, these love stories that... That, that reflect Christ in the church. You don't know it's doing that, but the reality of what's going on there is love as it's meant to be. I love you to the end and even in place of myself. And it catches you and it's like, wow, I want to be a part of that. I want that to be my life, right? Um, and so glory, the glory of man is man as he was meant to be as God intended him and it's marvelous in love it's marvelous in ability 
it's marvelous in relationship. And so we beheld glory. When we saw Jesus, everything about him was so compelling. I want that. It was a glory, though, full of grace and truth. We beheld his glory full of grace and truth. And so the thing about God's glory, when you see the logos, the explanation, the ordering of God, the ordering of God is this. Grace. 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 And what is grace? Grace is when in and of himself God chooses to put his image and perfections in you and to continue to supply you. That's who God is. I created you to share glory with me and I impart myself to you over and over and over again. Not because of the created thing, but because of me, the creator. I saw the glory of God full of grace and truth in the way Jesus Christ lived. If you want to know how a man who understood grace and truth lived, the glorious reality of God, look at the life of Jesus. And that's what we'll be doing over these next uh, few weeks, looking at the life of Jesus to see the possibility of what life can be for us. Um, so think about grace. Um, one of the things, uh, like the earth, think about the earth. Things grow because of sun and water. But like when the earth needs rain, when the earth needs rain, um, it will wake up early and prepare before the day. It will pack a lunch and put on its work clothes. And when it gets really in need, he's, it, the earth starts its work day early and works late into past dusk in order to get the rain to fall. Right? No. Doesn't do a thing. God just sends it. It's just there, and God sends it. But now it's a little different with birds. I don't know if you know about this about birds, but birds, <clears throat> when they build their nests, they'll always come back to the same place every year. And so what they do is they gather twigs, and they'll find, like, uh, a hollowed-out log. Have you ever seen a tree with a hole in it? They will, take, they will stockpile twigs uh, to build their nest. And then they won't use those. They'll go and they'll get more and they'll build their nest. And before they leave to go south, they'll do the same thing. They'll stockpile in that hole. And then they go south. So if they ever come back and there's been some kind of catastrophe, they will be able to go to this hole. No. No. They don't worry. They don't toil. God gives them a place to live. They just go and gather it. But now flowers, flowers are very different. Every late winter, you will see them on their computers on Amazon.com going through the petals, looking for the cell and to get coordinated uh, petals. Um, and uh, a, lot, a lot of the flowers will still use the local petal store. Uh, and they get up and they go and they shop. And through the winter, what they do is they stockpile money. So when it comes time to buy the petals uh, to create the blooms, uh, then they have the money they need because they've worked. No. The Bible says flowers don't toil either. But Solomon, in all of his glory, could not dress like a flower. Grace. Grace. We live by the grace of God. We don't toil. We don't strive. We rest in who God is. Now, let me, let me just say this before we get there. We die. We go to the cross. We have pain. We have hurt. See, I, I, that's where people get confused. They think, oh, if you live in grace, then <sighs> grace is easy. No. Grace causes you to live the life that you were created to live. 
the life a man is created to live is to pour his life out for everybody else. And that's glorious. Jesus lived the glorious life. He was able to live a poured out life because he trusted in the grace of God. And so what's going to happen as we go through here, every, every, every chapter is going to be about grace. Grace, grace, grace. And so one of the ways grace is communicated to us in this is seven times Jesus is going to say, I am. I am. And you know that comes from the Old Testament. When Moses was getting ready to go and, uh, and tell Pharaoh, let my people go, Moses says, who shall I say sent me? And God says, I am. So he reveals himself. And it doesn't take much study to figure out that I am means I am in and of myself. I was, I am, I shall be. God's glory expressed right there. I am in and of myself. Tell them I sent them. Well, they're going to wonder how we're going to get I am. How are we going to get through the I am? Who's going to feed us? I am. Who's going to protect us? I am. I am the creator. I made this. And so he takes them out into the wilderness and he teaches them there. I am everything over and over and over. Well, the I am's of, of John do the same thing. It brings you through the wilderness of your life and says, you have got to face the challenges of life and you've got to learn how a full human being would face that challenge. So it begins uh, very simply with John 6, 35, 48, and 51. I am the bread of life. And then he goes in and he teaches. That's what was going on out in the desert. It was all about the food. And you've got to learn to live by me today. And not store up twigs in a hole for tomorrow. I am that bread that came down from heaven, he says. Yeah? Grace. That's grace. God himself freely gives to us what we need to sustain us. Now, when you begin to live in that, it changes the way you do everything. It changes the... the remember, ultimately, we were created to be like Jesus. That is, in the end, we should totally deplete everything of who we are to be poured out for the people of God. That's what Jesus did. Right? Well... If we begin way back here, it changes the way we manage our life. My time and my money, uh, the house I buy, the car I buy, everything instead of getting up and thinking about, well, how can I get ahead? How can I get situated? How can I be settled? I get up and I say, well, this is everything I've got. How would God have me handle this today? How would God have me give this out today? So, I am the bread of life. I am your sustenance. You don't live for tomorrow. You live for today because you live by me. Does that make sense? Do you see how that connects with grace? It's just resting in the fact that God's going to take care of you. I am the light of the world. Light has to do with illumination. Um, we're going to talk about truth in just a second. But have you ever been confused? You all are at a wonderful age. Uh, after you get married... And you begin to live life. I, you have enough turmoil trying to decide where you're going to college. But you're going to get married and you're going to have all kinds of questions. Questions about um, uh, how you get along with your spouse. Questions about how you get along with your kids. Questions about what kind of house you should live in. Questions about retirement. Questions about how can I organize my life. To, and, and it's like, ah, wait a minute, wait a minute. The very explanation of the way things exist has come to the earth in Jesus Christ. And he walked in a relationship with the Father that dispelled all of that confusion. I am the light. I will illuminate the truth. You will see it. If you will get past your pride, get past your fear, get past your fallenness, and you will live in relationship with the Father. You won't walk in that confusion. Because I am the light. I will bring to light the reality of the way life is. Wisdom is to take all knowledge and learn how to apply it. That's light. I see things as they truly are. All right, let me just go through the rest. So you see how this is 
grace, you live in the grace of God. The glory of God is Jesus understood the grace of God. For us, if we live in grace, our lives become more and more glorious. I am the good shepherd, and I am the door of the sheep. He's both the the shepherd and the door. The sheepfold was the place of safety. Once you walked through that door, nothing could get to you. You ever live in fear of tomorrow? You ever live in fear of your future? Jesus said, look, I am the future. I'm the door to the sheepfold. Come in and you will find where you belong and you will be at peace. It's a great way to live. But I'm also the shepherd. You know, there's, 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 there's fear all over the world about governments. We live in a government with a king, but here he calls himself a shepherd. His kingdom, the shepherd, the ruler, knows you intimately, and he leads you and guides you uh, in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He makes you to lie down in green pastures. He restores your soul. He leads you beside still waters. He is your king, and he is going to lead you. And you don't have to have any fear of where you're going. So do you see the grace in it? So let me just read the rest of them. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the last one that's real popular to preach is uh, I am the true vine. I'm sure that will get preached sometime in these few weeks. But what does a vine do? Again... Uh, I, I was being a little tongue-in-cheek early on, but, but, lit, but without that, the vine, the branch, the grapes, your life is supposed to be full of glorious fruit the way you live. There is a glory to it, and that glory comes as you rest in Jesus. You are just a branch. The branch just stays tied in to the vine and everything else takes care of itself. Fruit, the right kind of fruit, the glorious fruit of the Christian life will come if you really come to know and rest in Jesus. So full of grace and truth. So what is truth? Truth of mind is when what you think is what really exists. When what you think is equal to what really exists, right? That wall, well, we could get into an argument. The writing is white. (laughs) It really is white. My mind knows it's white. That's truth. Truth of speech is when I say what is true in line with the reality of what's really there. So if I say it's white, it truly is white, so that's truth. If I think in my head it's white, that's truth in my head because it indeed is white. That's truth. But there is so much confusion. What is truth? That's the ultimate question. What What is truth? What is really there? And how can my mind know it? That's the big philosophical question. But not in the sense of of at the university, but every person. How does life really exist? How should I live? What's next? I, I don't understand. How many times have you been in your life where you just don't understand? It's like, I don't get it. The word became flesh. The logos, the... What are the words that Ben used? The structured order. The structured order, the way things really are. When you can see that, you know how to live. So we saw just this glory. We saw this glorious life lived among us. The glory of God and the glory of man. And what we saw was grace and truth. And walking in reality. And I'm writing to you about these things. I'm going to tell you about this guy. So that you can believe and put your faith in him. And you too can come to know the Father. And walk in this relationship. 
that brings you into this glorious life. What time is it? Should I quit? Is it close to quitting time? I don't know when you all usually quit. You don't think so? Okay. Let me go, let me go 10 more minutes. So, so John, he says, I've seen this. Over in his epistle, when he begins his epistle, uh, 1 John 1, he says, That which I've seen, that which I've touched, that which I've handled with my hands, that's what I'm declaring to you. I'm telling you the truth. Well, he does that in his gospel. But then he goes on, and, and he has introduced us to John the Baptist, a different John. And he says, this John came to be a witness. I'm telling you what I saw, but this guy came. And so he adds a few things. So John the Baptist, what did he preach? On the count of three. One, two, three. Alright, if you're going to speak in tongues, you've got to uh, interpret. What did John the Baptist preach? John bare witness of him and cried. Now, this is John the Baptist, verse 15. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He cometh after me, is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, grace for grace. Wait, no, no. Wait. No, that was a repentance tone. What does it say? Grace for grace. Grace for grace. The one who has come, we have all received of his fullness, grace for grace. So John, the apostle, goes back to the teachings of John the Baptist and says, yeah, it was all... Everybody else talked about the repentance that he preached. And I'm, you know, I'm on board with that. But John the Baptist saw this. It was grace for grace. There's a lot of ways to interpret that grace for grace. Um, one, of the, one interpretation is that there was the grace of the Old Testament, but this is a greater grace. In 1 Corinthians, it talked about glory to glory, the glory of the Old Testament to the glory of the New Testament. But another way to look at it is just God has been gracious and he piles grace upon grace. So, so he tells about seeing the grace and he says, and John the Baptist came preaching. And he said, we've all received of his fullness grace upon grace. That's what Christ did. He came and he brought grace upon grace. And of his fullness have all we received grace and grace for grace. So he adds this word, of his fullness. And so he speaks back to the perfections of God, to the glory of God. God never changes. He's immutable. Yes? Could it mean like, like complete grace? Like, yes. Like completely sufficient grace? Like, where like, like it's grace for grace, as in like, even the grace has grace. Like, that's how much grace we've got. Like, yes. Yeah. Some people will talk about faith for faith in the same way. Yeah, that is one of the things that, that, that people... Obviously, yeah, it could mean that just... <laughs> you need grace to receive grace. So you've got grace for grace, but also complete grace, like you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And you should think about that and, and come up with, with different ways you can look at it. But just know that whatever it is, it is super abundant, unending grace. And this word fullness that he, he throws in there, God is full, right? I, I think sometimes when we talk about God dispensing himself or pouring into us, we kind of think God is like a plant or something else that, you know, you can take a little bit of it and then it grows. Take a little bit of it and it grows. You think of God pouring himself into us, somehow you see it kind of getting empty but refilling itself. No, God is full. God is full, always full. He's never depleted. As he's giving, nothing goes away. <laughs> you know, we understand that the worlds were formed, the world we see was formed out of things that we don't see. So this grace that we get, grace and grace, it comes out of the fullness of God. You know, God doesn't have to be stingy. God doesn't have to hold back because you're depleting the amount of grace that he has set apart for you. 
God's got grace and more grace. It doesn't end in God. We've all received from the fullness of God's grace. And then he goes on and he says, The law was given by Moses, but grace and again, truth. So John the Baptist saw Jesus live a life. He saw him live life totally dependent on the Father. Completely understanding the way it all works. And that brought him to be the most glorious human being who ever lived. And it happened when he died on a cross in obedience to the Father. Knowing that the Father could bring him back from the dead. He was free to live who he was called to be. Because he didn't live in the fear or the uncertainty uh, or the confusion or the darkness. But he lived with the Father. And John is writing this and saying, hey guys, you know, Jesus, I saw it. It was a glorious life. It was a human being, a Messiah, the anointed one, who is also the Son of God. And I want you to believe in him. And so since there's no unbelievers here, it's not, you know, get saved so you can have this life. But if you're like me, you need to grow in faith. There are new levels every day that God calls us to. To pour our lives out. In order to do that, we've got to pour ourselves into Jesus and see him for who he is. And then come to these places where we live like he did in relationship with the Father. I'm writing so that you can believe that he's who he said he is. And if you come to that place, then you will know him and the Father and their relationship. And then you'll have eternal life. See? It's the life that has always existed. It's not this fallen life of man that can't put the ball through the hoop. It's the glorious life of a person who can do way beyond. And I think, I think the thing that we need it for the most is this, to love one another. It takes supernatural <laughs> impartation, grace, out of the fullness of God, for us to really love each other. We can, we can group together in certain ways, but for us to really love each other takes the grace of God. Now, now listen, I think the key to building churches is to do whatever it takes to get a hold of God and walk in honest love with one another. Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. What? By your love for one another. That's why in the beginning I started by saying, you know, four-color posters and, and great websites, that's super. But if you will commit yourself to walking with the Father like Jesus to the place that you're willing to hang on the cross for each other, there will be a glory among you. When people come in, it's not going to be the false smile of the assigned greeter. But you as a human being will be a glorious human being. And I, I promise you, I promise you, just like people are captured when they see a Paganini or, or when they see a great movie and they're like, I wish I could have that. If you walk in love, people will come among you. And they will say, it will be the glory of God. The same glory that rested on Christ uh, when he died on the cross. Yeah? So, we're going to go through the book of John. And we're going to probably look at some of these I am's. And, and just deepen our ability to trust in all of these areas where we're challenged.